This is Unmind with Great Cloud Michael Elliston Roshi. Zen equals more is less. More is less. More or less, we say, when unable to decide. More is less is more. In our last segment of Unmind on the meaning of less is more, a central axiom of design thinking coined by the famous architect Mies van der Rohe, I introduced the notion that this adage may be usefully applied to Zen as well. The simplicity of lifestyle and paucity of possessions surrounding the history of Zen in China and Japan in particular speaks to the general question regarding happiness and satisfaction in life. How much is enough? In this segment, we will consider how more can often be less. When we reach a certain level of stability in the normal stages of life in the first world countries of modern times, we may find that we have an overabundance of personal possessions, a complete household, and maybe a summer home as well, with the requisite home furnishings, maybe one or two vehicles, a boat, maybe even a private plane. At a certain point, unless we can manage the upkeep and maintenance of all our many acquisitions, our possessions begin owning us. That is, an increasingly large percentage of our time is devoted to taking care of the many things that we do not actually use very often, and probably don't really need in any realistic sense. Then comes the decluttering and downsizing, just to get back to a normal state of affairs, where we can spend our time on those aspects of life that we find most important and rewarding, such as family, friends, and, in Zen, personal insight into existence itself. In examining our approach to Zen meditation, in the context of less is more, we see clearly that excess accumulation of material goods is not of much use and can readily form another barrier to simplification of all the demands on our time and attention. When it comes to meditation, we consciously choose to pay attention to the basics of existence, including the body and its posture, the breath and its pattern, and the mind and its machinations. In doing so, we witness the natural functions of the monkey mind as setting goals, ruminating over the past, and worrying about the future, and so on. In order to simplify our task of waking up to reality as it is, we can recognize when we are setting goals, for example, and choose to stop setting goals at least in terms of our meditation. So I launched into the discussion of subtracting such elements from our practice as we witness them arising, resulting in the concept of goalless meditation, which in itself may be defined as a goal, or timeless meditation, 
where we set aside the burden of timing our sitting period and allow ourselves to re-enter real time, which has nothing to do with measurement. Eventually, our meditation can become effortless, where we have been doing this for so long that, like driving a car, it really doesn't require any conscious effort. And the physical effort has become second nature, so no big deal. Senseless meditation. Extending this idea, the various dimensions we observe in Zazen, such as the six senses, yield the possibility of sightless meditation, soundless meditation, odorless and tasteless meditation, and even sensationless meditation, which would be akin to physical samadhi, I suppose. It would also entail weightlessness when our BMI and gravity come into perfect balance. Mindless meditation. And finally, emotionless as well as thoughtless or mindless meditation, which latter would conventionally be interpreted as a pejorative. But in Zen, the don't know mind is valued most highly. Emotional samadhi, less anxiety, more serenity. Mental samadhi, less confusion, more clarity. Eventually, social samadhi, less friction, more harmony in relationships with others, as well as being comfortable in your own skin. Formless meditation, from the perspective of posture, breath, and attention, which and when they all come together in a unified way, as Matsuoka Roshi would often say, this is the real Zazen, we find ourselves practicing posture paramita, aiming at the perfect posture without ever imagining we have achieved it. Another one of Sensei's Zen secrets. Through a process of profound sensory adaptation, we arrive at formless meditation, not only in terms of physical posture or form, the first of the five aggregates, but also mental formations, the mysterious fourth skanda, meaning underlying motives, intentions, desires, and so forth, the psychological level of motivation, all gone away. Consciousless meditation. The natural evolution of our approach to meditation would then naturally and logically lead to a kind of consciousless meditation, an expression so countercultural that it requires a hyphen. The fifth aggregate comprehends the other four in that we are, or become, conscious of form, sensation, perception, and mental formations on deeper and deeper levels, until we apprehend the flip side of each, as the Heart Sutra indicates, no form, no sensation, no perception, no mental formations, until we come to know consciousness also, 
as the original English translation we used at Zen Buddhist Temple of Chicago rendered the line. We are conscious of the other four until we are not. And then we are conscious of consciousness itself until we are not. This steady progression through and adaptation to the aggregates outlined in the Shurangama Sutra is attributed to Buddha himself. So I am not just making this up as I go along. Breathless meditation. That our meditation becomes breathless at some point may not be obvious, not in the sense of breathless anticipation, but in that we are not doing the breathing to begin with. The body is. So when we relinquish the idea of control of the posture, the breath, and the direction of our attention, the natural posture, the natural breath, and the natural or original state of mind can come into play. We return to our original mind and body, which as Master Dogen reminds us, will unmistakably drop off in good time. Objectless meditation. When our attention and intention come together in a unified or holistic way, then it may be said that our meditation has become objectless, both in the sense of the senses and their objects merging in non-duality, and in the sense that we no longer can articulate any specific intention underlying our practice. It has become shikantaza, the Japanese expression for the inexpressible unified field theory of conscious awareness. But we should not become enthralled with this as a concept which threatens to morph into an expectation rather than an aspiration. If we understand that, quote, form and reflection beholding each other, close quote, is the necessary and natural inflection point that meditation inexorably leads to or returns to, to be more precise, we cannot go far astray. Conceptless meditation. This suggests yet another, less is more, dimension of meditation. That it can be utterly devoid of concepts, associations, or connotations of any kind. This we might define as pure meditation, in the sense of purity as non-duality, rather than conventional connotations of morality. No concept, however broad and deep its scope, can capture the breadth and depth of the effect, meaning, and implications of Zazen. This is why the content and intent of Zen is sometimes referred to as the Great Matter, capitalized. Heartbeat Meditation on a less transcendent and more practical level, I would like to share with you some of my more recent discoveries in Zazen, 
fostered by my contracting COVID-19 in December of 2022, followed by a roughly three-month recovery period, amounting to an enforced ongo, or traditional practice period, of 90 days. During this time, I lost a lot of strength, flexibility, balance, and coordination, and experienced the mental fog associated with the worst after-effects of the pandemic, though I am not inflicted with long COVID, but only the exacerbated effects of aging in combination with the disease. In taking the posture during this time, crossing my legs was increasingly difficult, and the resultant stiffness in my knees threatened to strain a tendon. So I took to sitting on the edge of the raised bench with my feet on the floor. Getting up from the floor when manning the timekeeper doan position became an agonizing exercise in finding the leverage to stand up. So I moved to chair sitting. This adaptation to aging is not unusual, by the way. Several veteran adepts have found that by their mid-60s, they could no longer sit in lotus posture. In order to recover my ability to sit with stability while cross-legged, I began taking a more aggressive approach to the posture and breath, as well as to walking meditation to compensate for the loss of my youthful vigor. My long-term engagement with Kin Hin, I am convinced, explains my relative sense of balance compared to others my age. In implementing this more active approach to the posture and breath, I discovered that I would begin feeling my heartbeat after holding my in-breath for a count of eight or ten, realizing that the tempo of the counting corresponded to the heartbeat. It is as if your heart is the metronome, counting off the time signature of your instrument, the body. By doing a full body crunch while holding my breath, my spine would pop and pull into its natural S-curve, arching the small of the back forward and down and pulling back and up on the chin, exaggerating the cobra-rising rigor of the upright seated posture. Exhaling, I began counting the heartbeat instead of the breath, noticing how the two are synchronized. Gradually, as the breath slows down, so does the heart. From two beats per in-breath and out-breath to four, then longer sequences of pulsation as the out-breath, in particular, slows down to a soothing rhythm. Repeating this cycle of squeezing and letting go, the relaxation response begins to set in, embracing the squeeze-and-release cycle of the heart itself, allowing more relaxation time between pulses. I could go on into more detail about how this rhythmic process smooths itself out until, as Matsuoka Roshi would say, the breath seems to come and go through the whole body, like a frog sitting on a lily pad, breathing by osmosis through the pores of the skin. Healing Meditation I am convinced that this process of observing the integration of posture and breath 
has therapeutic or healing properties, which have immediate benefits of calming the nervous system and long-term effects promoting longevity. The main benefit of longevity being that it affords a greater chance to wake up fully in the Zen sense during this brief lifetime. You might consider expanding this discussion in your own words. Such constructions as compassionless meditation to consider whether the concept of compassion that you may be harboring actually conforms to the true meaning of the word, which is to suffer with. If you come up with any confounding notions along these lines, please feel free to share them with me. It may prompt a beneficial exchange as to the limitless meditation that is Zazen. In the next segment, we will return to consideration of, quote, election year Zen, with all the real-world ethics and civics implications that this focus implies. Please join in the dialogue. Unmind is a production of the Atlanta Soto Zen Center in Atlanta, Georgia, and the Silent Thunder Order. Find us on the web at azzc.org. You can support these teachings by PayPal to donate at storder.org. Gashou.